0: Well, welcome to our listeners. This is a part of the podcast Reflections from Budapest, Religion, State and Society, where we look at issues of religious conflict, religious violence and reconciliation. We have previously concentrated on our research about anti Semitism in Hungary. We have recently completed this research and published a two volume set of books on the subject titled Anti Semitism in Hungary Appearance and Reality. In 2000, the first Orban government decided that April 16th should be the day when the country pays tribute to the memory of the victims of the Holocaust in Hungary. Remembering that in 1944, the Hungarian police, collaborating with the Nazi occupiers, began to set up the first ghettos and concentration camps on this day. This is a special episode dedicated for the remembrance of the Hungarian victims of the Holocaust. My name is Sharon Sugar. I'm a researcher at the Danube Institute. Our special guest today is László Bernat Vespremi, who is a journalist and a historian. His recent book titled, Bereft of Council, The Jewish Leadership in Hungary and the Holocaust 1944-1945 was published this year. Let me introduce my colleagues, Professor Jeffrey Kaplan, a distinguished fellow at the Danube Institute, and Virag Leorintz, a researcher at the Danube Institute. Thank you for joining us, Mr. Vasprimi. To begin with, could you tell our listeners about your background and why did you start to research about Jewish cancer during the Holocaust era?
1: Yes, thank you for inviting me. Well, I have always been uh, interested, ever since I've become interested in, in history, I've always been interested in in the history of uh, Jewish leadership in Hungary during the Holocaust. Uh, I have written a number of books on different subjects, but uh, this is actually the first topic that I really started researching. So uh, if somebody were to look at the uh, footnotes of this book, uh, they might find some emails I have exchanged with other scholars and, and survivors and uh, witnesses, and uh, they can see the dates that these emails date back to 2013-2012, so uh, I've, I've spent a lot of years doing this research. Um, well, I have, I, I, I've done my MA at the University of Amsterdam in Holocaust studies, and now I'm doing my PhD at uh, Ötos Lóraín University in the history of the Zionist movement in Hungary during the Holocaust. And uh, if, if anybody's uh, at least a little bit familiar with this subject, then uh, they might know that uh, the Jewish leadership in Hungary uh, was attacked a lot by survivors after the war, uh, they have uh, they have been involved in a lot of scandals, in, also in Hungary and also in Israel. Uh, one very famous case is that of uh, Rudolf uh, or Israel Kessner, who was uh, who was a Zionist leader uh, in Hungary during the Holocaust, and uh, he was accused of of Nazi collaboration. And then uh, there was a trial in Israel. Uh, the trial wasn't technically against him; he was just a witness. But still, the judge sort of sort of sentenced Kessner or or. Uh, Um, had a very, very uh, uh, bad uh, or negative conclusion of this whole story. And uh, then later, Kastner was shot on the street. So uh, that was a huge scandal in Israel. But there were other scandals uh, involving the Hungarian Jewish leadership and their wartime behavior, also in Hungary. So uh, my book does not focus on Kastner. It focuses on uh, Hungarian cases, uh, the Hungarian story. So in my book, I've been trying to look at... uh, uh, the history of the Hungarian Jewish leadership in the years immediately before the German occupation of the country in nineteen forty four uh then what they were doing under the occupation, how their role has uh, has so what was their role how their role has changed during the uh, period when Horty was still the governor and then during the arrow cross takeover and then uh, immediately after the liberation, there were a lot of trials uh some of these trials uh, actually involved the Jewish leadership, so they put some Jewish leaders on trial. Uh, They accused them of collaboration. It was mostly the communists who did this. Uh, But I've also been trying to look at the uh, uh, subsequent historiography. So what historians have written about these uh, Jewish councils, whether they managed to be objective or maybe not so much. Uh, And and, uh, of course, I've done a lot of research, uh, not only in Hungarian archives, but also abroad. And I've been trying to look at as many sources as possible.
0: Can you tell our listeners about your recent book and its findings?
1: Yes. Uh, so my my uh, recent book uh, is titled Tanács Shag in Hungarian, which which loosely translates. Well, there's there's a play on play, play on words there uh, about the Jewish councils, but I think uh, the, the translation bereft of council would be pretty accurate, or at least I think. I'm not a native speaker, but that's how I would uh, translate it. Um, so, uh, l- like I've said, there have been a lot of accusations against against the Hungarian Jewish leadership and these uh, Jewish councils or Judenreta in German, and um, uh, the interesting thing is that a lot of these accusations are still sort of floating around today. So if you go on Hungarian Jewish forums on the on Facebook or on the internet, uh, there's a lot of big forums where thousands of people are present. And uh, in these forums, the names of these Hungarian Jewish leaders, Shmuel Stern, who led the Hungarian, uh, uh, the, the the Budapest Jewish Council during the occupation, or Rabbi Béla Berend, or Kessner himself, these names are sort of, sort of, cuss words, their swear words, they're, they're, they're using them as insults. Uh, if they really don't like one Jewish leader or another, like, uh, Heisler or Kovesh, then they're going to call them a Stern. They're going to call them a Baron. Uh, um, and when I, when I try to explain, uh, some of, some of my findings, uh, they've, they've also been throwing these accusations on these forums against me. Uh, so, uh, that, oh, you're, you're, you are a Kessner. Uh, so these, these, uh, these names have sort of become these ne- negative, uh, 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 adjectives and, uh, so uh, what I'm trying to say is that the accusations are still out there today, and these accusations, if you try and find their source, if you try and find the the root of these accusations, they basically all go back to the communist press immediately after the uh, end of the Second World War. Uh, the Soviet army was still there, the left-wing, uh, meaning social democratic, but mostly uh, pro-communist media was very strong. It was basically the only sort of media there was they all covered these these war crimes trials and uh, of course they were always against the accused they were not interested in whether the accused leaders these jewish leaders were innocent or not uh they presented all the accusations as facts so uh what they often did was they somehow they had they probably had this sort of deal with the communist police that they received the testimonies made at the uh police by by the witnesses where the witnesses often said things like well, I heard that this or that Jewish leader did, did this or that, uh, but they weren't sure about it, so they they emphasized that this was just hearsay. And then the newspapers took these testimonies and they presented them as facts. So the title of their uh, their article would go something like, "Rabbi Bela Berend robbed corpses and raped Jewish women," and that was the statement. And of course, this this time, uh, at this time Hungary was not a democracy, so you couldn't just launch a a uh, uh, press case or, or sue these newspapers. You couldn't just get a correction. That was, that was it. That was what everybody learned about you. So uh, in my book, I, I looked at these accusations and I tried to compare them with the archival documents. And I tried to objectively look at whether these accusations could be proven, whether any, whether there was any sort of proof to any of them. So because of this, the tone of my book might sound apologetic to the average reader uh, and it, it probably is to some extent because the accusations were so blatant they were so ridiculous uh, that uh, just comparing them to the archival evidence uh, in most cases gave me the result that these these accusations were mm-hmm. of course not true uh, which doesn't mean that some of these charges or some of these accusations were not true some of them I, I was surprised to find that they were in fact true so within the Budapest Jewish Council there actually was some sort of uh, yeah, there was a lot of corruption. They, of course, tried to help their own friends, their own family members. So, yeah, that was true. Uh, they did occasionally discriminate against uh, uh, Jewish converts to Christianity. So these uh, so, uh, sort of they, they were called the Christian Jews. So they did, in fact, discriminate against them. Uh, another interesting thing which I found was that in some rural ghettos, the local Jewish councils, the local Jewish leaders, were forced uh, either by the Budapest Judenrat or by the Germans to or make this sort of selection process where they had to draw up lists of who would go to Auschwitz and who would go to uh, a camp in Austria, uh, Strasshof, which was, of course, also a concentration camp and a very bad place to be in, but there was no gas chamber, there was no crematoria. So uh, people had a higher chance of survival there. And there, I I identified at least three or four camps where uh, such a selection process did happen. so that was, the, these accusations were in fact true, but most of the accusations were simply false. So no, the Jewish leaders were not fascists. They did not uh, deliberately betray their own uh, uh, fellow Jews. They did not hand out Jewish women for to be raped uh, to the Germans or to the Arrow Cross. Uh, they did not steal money or I uh, did not find any uh, uh, g- real proof of that. Uh, and I, my conclusion is that most of them really tried to do their best to help other Jews. They just couldn't do it because uh, they were powerless. I think that this would probably be my my uh, uh, summary of my findings uh, that I found that the, the history of Jewish leadership in Hungary during the Holocaust was a story of a lack of power, not a misuse of power.
0: And maybe it's, as you mentioned, it's quite a sensitive and maybe controversial topic. And uh, how did the Jewish community react to your book?
1: Well, I mean, if, if, if uh, we talk about the Hungarian Jewish community, you know, there's a lot of lot of newspapers, there's a lot of uh, forums, um, quite a few rabbis, community leaders who are active on social media. Some of them did react, some of them did not. Mm-hmm. I haven't heard of any negative reactions, but uh, Naokun, which is the largest Hungarian Jewish news portal, they... Uh, ran a, a review by a, a uh, Jewish journalist uh, that was a very positive review i was very happy about that uh then there was there there's another Jewish magazine uh Zima, which is connected to the Hungarian Jewish Prayer Association uh and there was also a review there by written by a Jewish lawyer who's actually the ex uh uh, uh lawyer of Majihis, uh the largest Jewish hung- Hungarian uh, congregation um, umbrella organization for congregations, so at least two uh, very positive reviews did appear in the Jewish press.
0: And um, in 2022, a statue of Miklós Horthy was inaugurated in the Hungarian parliament by Dóra Duro, who is the deputy president of the radical right political party called in Hungarian Mihazánk, which is in English our nation. You wrote a book about the Horthy regime as well, what is your view of the statue in the Parliament, but more importantly, how do you interpret what is impact on the Jews of Hungary from the nineteen twenties to the forties
1: well this is this, these are great questions uh mm-hmm. <clears throat> well I try not to comment on what politicians are doing and especially uh this this sort of uh 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 frenzy in Hungary about statues and and historical memory its mm-hmm. a it's it's a very interesting thing and i I'm not going to say that it does not exist in in uh let's say the united states or i don't know the united kingdom because of course i read the news and i understand that they're also having these huge debates about certain statues and street names and they're tearing down statues so uh we seem to live in an age where where statues uh, have suddenly become very important to some people um but um i i am not a hundred percent sure if this is what we should be concentrating on um i try not to really comment on issues like like street naming and statues of course i would not put a statue of Horty in the Hungarian Parliament. Uh, that's that's uh, I probably don't really have to explain that. Um, well, Horty's role in in Hungarian history is of course very controversial, very complicated. There's a lot of very extreme views on Horty. Some people see him as a fascist dictator, a, a genocidal leader who uh, was very involved in the Holocaust and was uh, actually very enthusiastic about the deportations who did nothing to save Hungarian Jews. And then of course there's a very positive reading of Horty where he's a he's a guy who has brought uh stability to Hungary and who has fought both the communists and the Nazis and who has rescued the Jews of Budapest. Uh so um in my previous book titled 9- 1921 which is about the the uh, the, the birth of the Horti regime uh, one of the interesting things which i found was that Horty was actually contrary to what a lot of historians have been saying i i think that he wasn't a stupid leader a lot of historians have been saying that Horty simply had very bad uh, capabilities as a politician that he was a bad politician i don't think he was a bad politician i think he could make very calculated almost uh, cold and cynical decisions. I think he uh, was actually thinking more as a politician than as a military military leader most of the time. And uh, also during the, the uh, uh, period of the deportations in 1944, uh, it's still a huge question for me why exactly Horthy did not act sooner uh, about the rural deportations. Uh, because there's no debate that he has stopped the deportations when it came to the capital city in July, 1944. No one is debating that. They, Historians are merely debating the uh, intentions, and some historians have been saying that Horthy hated the Jews in the countryside, and then he, he, for some reason, just decided to save the Jews of the capital city. And that, to me, is a—it's—it's a, it's, it's, it's a bit—I uh, I see a conundrum there, and uh, I—I've I, been thinking a lot about what could be the solution for that. I'm still not a hundred percent sure what exactly Horthy knew about the the uh, goal of the deportations. Um, And it's also a very interesting question what exactly he... I use the expression internalized in my book. Uh, It's also an important question about the Jewish leaders because I have found some very um, uh, uh, explicit, uh, very, very outspoken uh, evidence uh, uh, during my research that uh, at least uh, by 1943 the Hungarian Jewish leaders knew exactly that the Germans were murdering Jews in uh, the occupied countries. In fact, I found, found a press review at the Hungarian Jewish archives, and I don't think a lot of other historians have had a look at that material. And the Budapest Jewish leaders actually uh, managed to get uh, newspapers from Switzerland, which were, which was a neutral country, and they had uh, they had uh, a uh, you know you, you know the Swiss newspapers. They wrote about the Holocaust, and in 1943. They reviewed an article from uh, the uh, Zurich media, which said that the Germans had already killed, by that, by, by that point, they had already killed uh, 2 million Jews in Poland. Uh, so the, we know from this press review that the Hungarian Jewish leaders did know that. And still, they did not spread the news. And it, my impression was that they had sort of not internalized these news or they, they thought that, okay, maybe this is happening abroad, but this is not going to happen here. And it's also a very interesting question why Horthy did not act sooner. I'm not sure if I have a, a, a good answer to that. Um, it One explanation, uh, I'm not trying to say that this is what, what necessarily happened, but of course one explanation is that uh, Horthy did in fact receive the Auschwitz Protocols not long before he stopped the deportations. That would be one explanation. And um, one interesting thing which I found in my research was that Horthy was in touch with the budapest jewish leadership the budapest jewish council uh during the uh german occupation there was even a meeting between the head of the uh budapest jewish council and horty uh in in early september or the last days of august The, the sources are a little bit uh uh they they cannot they cannot quite uh say exactly when this meeting happened so uh that was that was certainly something which has which has changed my uh, understanding of Horty. That he was in touch with the Jewish leadership. Uh, there was the, there were these sort of talks between the Budapest Jewish Council and Horty on how to help the Jews of Budapest. Uh, that was certainly something that was that was news to me. Uh, I'm not saying that these documents had not been published before, but maybe most historians have simply forgotten to inspect them or have not really incorporated them into their work.
2: You've opened the question of the different fates of Jews in Budapest and the countryside. What was the difference in the councils, the Jewish councils in Budapest and the countryside? Well,
1: the Jewish councils in the countryside, that was a uh, a lot of the things which I did research on. I had this feeling that I just couldn't rely on the, on the historical literature, the history books, because uh, they were just sort of unknown subjects. There was a lot of stuff to discover for the first time, and uh, one of these subjects... Uh, uh, especially was the was the subject of the rural jewish councils i have identified more than 150 jewish uh, jewish councils in the countryside mostly in major cities but also in like uh, small towns and villages and i'm sure that there were actually a lot more of them but uh what we have to see about the uh, jewish communities in the countryside is that uh, most of them were completely destroyed Uh, their documentation was destroyed If you go to the Hungarian Jewish archives, there's barely a few slips of paper uh, from the documentation of these communities. So it's just very difficult to put together the story. Uh, But luckily, I have found a few memoirs, a few war crimes trials in the countryside, some documents. So I I think I have given the best picture that I could. Uh, The rural Jewish councils were completely abandoned. They couldn't turn to the Hungarian authorities because they were not helping them. The local German authorities were just torturing them and, and taking their money and using them to uh, uh, con- confuse the Jews, to get them to move to the ghetto, to get them to organize the life in the ghettos and then to sometimes uh, only in a very few examples, but sometimes to get them to board the train the trains and to and to do this selection process which I've already mentioned. Um, one interesting thing is that there were some war crimes trials against rural Jewish leaders uh in in, in uh, the rural cities of uh Solno Gula um, there were some they wanted to do some trials in seged, but they d- that didn't happen in the end uh they dropped the charges uh, most of the charges involved this selection process, so a lot of the people who came back from the camps uh they accused these leaders they said, "Why did you not select my family to go to Strasshof? My family went to auschwitz, and that's your fault and you kn- you knew what was happening and then these leaders tried to say that uh they didn't exactly know but uh i suppose that when you see two lists of people and on the one list there's the community leaders the uh families with a lot of children uh people who have who are famous people who have achieved a lot uh, in their in their work for the jewish community and on the other list you see well the average folks and you can probably sort of guess that uh, one group of people is probably going to a, a maybe not so horrible place so uh there there i i i'm not entirely convinced that these leaders did not know what they were doing um some of these leaders actually received prison time at first, but then their uh, uh, the sentences were were overturned, and um, um, yeah, so the the story of the rural Jewish councils is 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 very much uh, still in the darkness. There's still a lot of uh, research that has to be done, so uh, uh, I don't think that uh, that uh, my my book has, has sort of finished the research. There's probably still a lot of things to look at.
2: And to follow that up just a little bit, my own curiosity, in the immediate post-war period, when there was still a period of chaos before the communist government really established control, there was a wonderful opportunity for private revenge. Was there any kind of internal violence within the Jewish community of getting revenge on council members or on the people who, the Hungarians who had been involved in collaborating with the Germans.
1: Oh, of course. I mean, uh, this was, this was, this was the time for revenge. If there was any, any time for revenge, then this was the time. And, uh, uh, there, there have been these sort of, sort of rumors going around about, uh, uh, uh people, people use the expression Jewish revenge. Uh, of course, uh, uh I'm not trying to say that this was an actual phenomenon, but uh, if you go to the rural archives and you look at the uh, uh, reports to the police, letters written to the police, to the uh, uh, people's attorney, uh, the the attorneys were called people's attorneys. Mm -hmm. And uh, then, of course, you can sense this sort of of tone, not only in the survivors of the Holocaust, but also in average Hungarian folks who just suffered under the German occupation, that they, they were very enthusiastic in trying to get these war criminals, and maybe sometimes they were a little bit too enthusiastic. Uh, one, one example that I could maybe cite for uh, intercommunity violence would be that of kapo trials. It's not very well known that there were also kapo trials in Hungary. Uh, kapos were the people who in the concentration camps took certain roles and responsibilities for certain benefits, and when they came back from the camps they were often reported to the police uh, and a lot of these uh, trials uh, uh, did not end with, with the uh, court finding these capos actually guilty of anything. And uh, some of these sentences uh, uh, found that there were actually sort of personal motiva- motivations behind the, the uh, 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 reporting to the police. So... Uh, some families, some people were angry at these people, sometimes were things which happened before the German occupation, and then they just took this opportunity to report them to the authorities. So uh, that was a very good question. Yes, uh, there were some cases of this.
2: Yeah, that's that's a pattern in communist history, that if you dislike somebody, you write to the police, you write to the state prosecutor people's attorney. But let's say that again is resorting to trying to force government action on your behalf. What I'm really interested in is, was there private violence that simply did not have any, where the state had no part in, simply family to family, person to person?
1: Uh, well, I have not, uh, it wasn't me who uncovered this uh, uh, example. It was another historian, Istan uh, Beks, who is from Kishkunhalas uh, and in Kishkunhalas which is a small town in Hungary, apparently, the local Jewish leader was the, 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 the previous leader of the uh, local Jewish council. One, I think his name was Josef Prager. And this guy was reported to the police by survivors. They launched an investigation against him. Uh, also on charges of selecting Jews in the camps. And then uh, the charges were dropped. And people apparently were not happy about this. And somebody tried to shoot him on the street. Uh, or at least there were some documents which indicated that some people tried to shoot him on the street. And uh, this would probably be an example of that.
0: What happened with the Jewish councils during the communist regimes?
1: It's very interesting to look at the the different stories and the different fates of certain, not only leaders of Jewish councils, but also members of Jewish councils. And uh, some of them showed up in the most interesting places, like uh, some people got jobs in communist ministries, some people ran uh, communist uh, uh, institutions like financial institutions, or a communist really loved to well of course they nationalized everything and then there were a lot of institutions like national institution for hungarian spas or something like that and then for example one of the gentlemen who who led that well it wasn't exactly a corporation i'm not sure what to call call it an entity state entity the, the guy who ran that for example that was a former uh uh member of a jewish council um but uh i found another very interesting example of a guy who was who became a people's attorney so uh while some members of Jewish councils were accused of war crimes, there was also a guy who was doing the accusing. So uh, there were there were very interesting uh, life stories there. But uh, of course, a lot of leaders, especially in Budapest, were accused of, of uh, horrible crimes. Some of them were put on trials. Shalmushtern, there was an investigation against him, but he was already a very old gentleman. So he died before uh, uh, charges could be raised uh but they did r- uh, raise charges against Bela Berend. there were uh, two trials first they found him guilty and they gave him i think 13 years of prison time then they uh found him innocent and then he left uh, for the United States uh but uh some some other leaders uh, they also uh, uh had a very bad uh experience with the communist police for for example Lajos Stuckler he was uh, arrested in 1953 Uh, there was a closed trial for him they found him guilty and they also tortured him at the at the uh so the, the communist police tortured him eventually they released him and they let him emigrate and he left for australia where he died in the 60s uh so some people somehow managed to to sort of submerge into this new uh communist system and some people were uh caught by the authorities, and they were made examples
2: of. Let me follow up with just for a second, there's something I'm very curious about. We've been talking about rural and urban Jewish communities, but those are largely neolog for the most part, and very much assimilated in that period. What about the Orthodox, which had a very large community that was virtually destroyed here in Hungary? Did they have councils, or did they simply go along with the program and die?
1: well i tried to look at the the sort of sort of uh, denominations there so i tried to uh uh, count how many uh jewish council leaders were neologs how many of them were orthodox and how many of them were status quo because there was also this middle category Mm -hmm. and i found that the majority of jewish council leaders in the whole country so of course counting the uh, people in the countryside they were neolog uh most of them were elderly gentlemen most of them were lawyers or businessmen most of them had previously had some sort of role in the the Jewish congregation they were either uh leaders or deputy leaders or something like that uh i'm i'm just saying this because there's there there there's been sort of this story going around that the Germans picked the like the lowliest people they could find uh, um, these these sort of uh uh nigh criminals or something like that. And uh, that was not, not exactly what I found. Most of the, the leaders of these councils had previously been involved in Jewish life. But of course there were some Orthodox people, minority, but there were some Orthodox people. I even found a Christian, a, a, a convert uh, in, in one uh, rural Jewish council. There were some status quo people. Uh, there were some rabbis who were leaders like in the city of Vespring, for example. It was a rabbi who led, a neolog rabbi who led the council uh but mostly it was neolog lawyers
2: and the question of the converts is also quite interesting the germans did not recognize the conversion obviously what was the what was the test of being jewish to be included in the in the holocaust
1: well one one uh, thing that might might be interesting for uh uh people who are not not uh holocaust scholars is that uh of course uh uh there were, there were official records of who was Jewish and who wasn't, but it was also something that uh, had to do with uh, just looking at people. One very interesting story is uh, the story of the former uh, Föispan, which would be a sort of the head of the administration in the city of Nagyvarod, which is in uh, Romania today. And uh, this guy, uh, he had a big beard and, and he was just walking on the street and the Germans thought he was Jewish. So they arrested him. And he kept saying that, well, I'm not Jewish. I'm, I'm a very important people in the, in this city. And they just didn't care. And then the Hungarian authorities had to go to the Germans and explain that, oh, you caught the wrong guy. He's actually very influential. You don't, you don't want to arrest him. And there's another story of a rabbi uh, from Bikish Chaba who survived the war uh, and later went to Israel. He was a right-wing Zionist. And in his memoirs, he wrote that uh, he, took, he, he had bought a, the, the clothes of a Calvinist priest he changed his uh, mustache a little bit. He changed the glasses he'd been wearing. He bought a cheaper pair of glasses. He bought a, an anti-Semitic newspaper, an Arrow Cross newspaper, which he just opened on the train, and nobody bothered him. <laughs> uh, so, uh, uh, who was exactly a Jew? A, a, a lot of a lot of it actually was was uh, it, it depended on on uh, who the police recognized as being a Jew. Uh, but also Tom Lantos, uh, you, you know, he's already uh, the the uh, former. Um, the, uh, the late American politician, I think he also explained in, uh, in an interview that he had blonde hair and blue eyes and just nobody thought that he was he was uh, Jewish. Well, about the converts, uh, of course, yes, the Germans did not recognize conversion. The converts were also forced to uh, be in the Jewish council, also in Budapest. Uh, there was one place in on the council uh, for converts uh, fulfilled by one uh, Shandor Turok, who was a Calvinist of Jewish ancestry, also a write- writer of children's novels. Uh, and he was actually very much involved in uh informing Horthy about Auschwitz so uh, he was probably the person who uh who has uh, brought the Auschwitz protocols to the uh uh, uh office of, of the governor and uh later that he he uh, headed so so later he sort of separated from the central council and he headed the council for Christian Jews but this was a very short lived thing he didn't do a lot of things there Uh, But also in the countryside, I have found some converts and these converts often wrote letters to church leaders, uh, Catholic, uh, Calvinist, uh, Lutheran church leaders. So going to Christian archives is actually a very good source for this sort of uh, complaint letters where people wrote to the bishops and to the priests. And they said, well, the Jews are torturing us. They uh, They are taking all our money. They're making us do the hard labor while they are doing the office work so there's a lot of accusations there some of the language is actually pretty anti-Semitic, which is interesting Mm -hmm. because it's coming from people who were technically jewish themselves but they they were converts so uh this this uh, again sort of explores a a different level of uh, internal conflicts. I'm not even sure if we can call it internal because that would was you know. I'm not trying to say that uh, I I don't consider these people Christians, but uh, they did not see themselves as Jews. They their letters are often voiced in a in a certain way uh, where they are complaining about the Jews in general.
2: It's an interesting historical dynamic that the sages used to say the greatest enemies of the Jewish people are former Jews, are those who have converted. And it's something that's not new here. It goes back to the second century. So it's really quite old.
0: To react to another current issue, the U.S. ambassador to Hungary, David Pressman, caused quite an outrage with his recent decision to invite Jobbik president Marton Gyöngyösi to celebrate the Jewish holiday of Pesach at his residence. Gyöngyösi was the one who called for the creation of a list of Hungarian politicians of Jewish ancestry some years ago what was your reaction to the scandal
1: well of course i was i was uh completely stunned uh, I, I i i i could I, at first i thought when i saw this picture i thought that maybe maybe an artificial artificial intelligence had generated it maybe this was uh uh maybe it was just uh, i don't know late late april april fool's jokes uh but uh but then of course i saw that it was coming from the page of the u.s embassy i i uh well of course it's a, it's a huge political mistake on the part of pressmen and the interesting thing for me is that i've done some research into diplomatic sources um documents on um, em- of embassies of, of ambassadors and one thing that i've learned is that ambassadors rarely take risks on their own accord uh that i don't think that any ambassador would just randomly come up with this idea to invite one of the worst antisemites of hungary to a uh lgbt themed pesach event <laughs> and uh <laughs> and uh uh have him sit in front of uh andras hasler which you know it's it's also another sort of provocation and uh, uh i think the important question is that who authorized this mm-hmm. um well that's I, I i don't want to give an answer to that but i'm pretty sure that uh that uh pressman was was uh, this was probably not pressman's own idea um well, uh, and that uh, just just one quick uh, reflection, uh, you know, I've also attended some Pesach events, uh, I, I went with my family and, uh, you know, I had not, I, I, I haven't found a single Hungarian Jew who was happy about this. Uh, there was a huge outrage, people were talking about this, uh, nobody understood what this was, some people said that maybe Pressman didn't know, maybe he's just that uninformed or that unintelligent, Uh, But of course, the majority said that he knew exactly what he was doing. All it takes is one Google search to find out who Jun Shi truly is. And of course, everybody was very, very angry and disappointed.
2: Has there been a reaction from the American embassy after the fact, either apologizing for it or giving uh, justification?
1: Well, that's the very interesting thing, that there was a press, a very, very short press conference. I wasn't there, but I've read the reports. uh, And... uh, he uh has he has uh stood by his decision he has not apologized and that is what really makes me think that he had that he had been acting on orders that he or or at least uh, this idea had been uh had been approved from uh, up above that he he did not he did not walk back he did not say okay sorry this was a bad idea he just said yes this was a very deliberate action on on, on our part uh, you know he has changed he is no longer an anti-semite and uh, and now he's... of his uh, he's, uh is a different person and uh i don't think that's entirely true because uh one newspaper has reported that um last december which was like uh five months ago uh, last december in the european parliament the ginger she has supported a motion uh which which called uh, Eastern Jerusalem a um, you know it said that it belonged to the Palestinians. Uh, this resolution said that Israel has to move back behind the 1967 lines. So that's that's of course uh, a very anti-Zionist, anti-Jewish resolution, and Joshi supported it. So I th- I you know I'm not uh, I'm not saying that people cannot change. I'm not saying that an antisemite might not change his mind. Of course, uh, we should all be open to that, but uh, I just cannot believe when somebody says that last December I was an anti-Semite, now this April I'm a very pro-Jewish person.
0: In the Western Media and academy, Hungary is portrayed as having a major problem with anti-Semitism and anti-Semitic violence. Is this perception justified in in your view?
1: Well, I have have covered this subject uh, as a journalist uh, back when I worked for SOMBAT, uh, which is uh, the Jewish Monthly, and then I was the deputy editor-in-chief of so we wrote a lot, art, a lot of articles about this subject and of course there's some anti-Semitism in Hungary, there are a few atrocities, uh, but if I think we really have to look at the numbers here. So if you compare the numbers in Hungary, you know, different organizations measure different numbers, but uh, everybody agrees that it's it's a couple of dozens of uh, atrocities each year, most of them not violent. Uh, and then you look at the numbers coming from Germany or France or or the United States or Sweden or uh uh, some other Western countries uh, there, you can see that hundreds and sometimes thousands of atrocities happen each year. A lot of them are very violent. Some of them, there, there have been some murders, there have been some terror attacks, unfortunately, on communities in, in Germany, in the United States. Uh, so I don't think that anybody can uh, look at these numbers and then reasonably say that Hungary uh, even, even compares to what's going on in these countries. And of course... Uh, Uh, some of these attacks have to do with far-right violence Uh, in the United States. In Germany we know that some of these attacks were committed by uh, neo-Nazis but some attacks have been committed by Islamists. For example in Denmark there was an attack on a synagogue. I think two people were killed and that was committed by an Islamist so uh, I'm also pretty pretty, uh, convinced that uh, while far-right violence is a real uh, threat uh, that has to be dealt with it also has to do with uh, mass immigration and with uh, Islamism which is flows into Europe, flows into the Western world, and of course it brings anti-Semitism.
2: Is this what makes Hungary a relatively safer place for Jews? The fact that the, um, immigration is restricted, there's not a large Islamic community, or is there something deeper?
1: Well, I think it probably also has to do with the fact that, uh, uh, con- contrary to all reports, the Hungarian government is actually very pro-Jewish, so there's a lot of support for the Jewish community. Um, there's a lot of Jewish uh, um, institutions, newspapers, cultural organizations, uh, synagogues are being built and opened, which I think is a very, very uh, unique thing in uh, Europe nowadays. Uh, kosher uh, slaughter of animals is is is, uh, is defended by the government, so it's not there's no attack on, on kosher slaughter. Um, so uh, there, so these these probably also are, are, are important aspects of why there's a flourishing Jewish life in Hungary today. But of course, it also has to do with the fact that there's there's very uh, small immigration. Budapest is maybe the only really big city, capital city in Europe, where there are more Jews than Muslims. So uh, that 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 uh, we we cannot ignore that fact. I'm sure that uh, there's at least some sort of connection between the two.
0: Thank you so much for your time and answering all our questions. Stay in tune for the upcoming podcast featuring distinguished guests from Hungary and abroad.